As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show, and we're going to talk about something that I feel like has completely snuck up on us. We are two days away from actual Big Ten football, and I feel like we spent so much time this year talking about whether the Big Ten would play in 2020 or not that we haven't really spent much time talking about the actual teams. Yes, we know Ohio State's good. We know Wisconsin's usually always good. Penn State had an opt-out, lost a really good player to a medical reason this week, But there are so many storylines and so much to get into. Illinois and Wisconsin kick it off Friday night. Then everybody else joins in on Saturday. You've got Nebraska, Ohio State, Penn State, Indiana, Michigan, Minnesota, Maryland, Northwestern, Iowa, Purdue, and good old Rutgers at Michigan State. The Big Ten is back. And today we're actually going to talk about the Big Ten on the field, not the Big Ten postponing the season, changing its mind about postponing the season, getting sued by Nebraska players, uh, getting pushed by Ohio State coaches and players. No, we're going to talk about Big Ten teams playing football, and I cannot wait. We're going to start with Bill Landis, our Ohio State beater, and talk about the defending champs, the Buckeyes. Then we're moving to State College to talk to Audrey Snyder about Penn State and what they do post-Journey Brown. After that, We moved to Michigan and talked to Nick Baumgartner about the Michigan Wolverines who opened their season against Minnesota prime time on ABC on Saturday night. This is going to be a short, sweet, hopefully, hopefully fun season of Big Ten football that for a while we didn't think was going to happen, but it is going to happen. So let's talk to our great beat writers about actual football in the Big Ten. Cannot wait. Start with Bill Landis in Ohio State. Bill, let's be honest, without Ohio State, probably nobody's playing in the Big Ten this fall. The the Buckeyes led the charge. Justin Fields, specifically, a a player that most of us nationally thought, you know, he'd just go get ready for the draft. Instead, he leads a charge to, to play football in the Big Ten in the fall. Yeah, it was kind of surprising, I guess, to anybody who who maybe had not spent much time around Justin Fields. But 
he's like supremely motivated based off what happened last year. I, I don't think he wanted anybody's lasting impression, lasting impression of him in a college uniform to be him throwing an interception in the Fiesta Bowl against Clemson. And I think he feels like he has a lot to prove. And, you know, there are a lot of things that go in the, the, the motivation of why you want to get a season going this fall. But just talking about him specifically, um, I think he feels like, you know, he knows he's a good player and he, he's pretty well respected as the only returning Heisman Trophy candidate. But even with all that, I still, he believes there's, there's more for him to prove this year. And that's why he wanted to play. So the Buckeyes will start playing this weekend in, in what I like to call the, you wanted to play so bad, here you go bowl against Nebraska. Uh, that's more more for Nebraska than Ohio State. Uh, Nebraska, obviously, one of the other schools that was really pushing hard uh, to get back to football season in the fall. And now they are rewarded with playing the Buckeyes right out of the shoot. What should we expect to see? Because like you said, the last image we saw was that interception in the Fiesta Bowl and, and Clemson, you know, putting that game away. What is Ohio State going to look like this season? I think offensively, they should come out looking what most people would expect them to look like. And a lot of that's because of Justin Fields returning. But they have three starters back on the offensive line. The two guys that they are working in as new starters are former five-star prospects, one at left guard, one at right tackle. Chris Olave's back at receiver, Garrett Wilson's back at receiver. All the tight ends are back, minus one guy who was kind of their fourth tight end last year anyway. And, you know, they're, they're going through a change of tailback, and J.K. Dobbins is gone, and that's a big loss. But you have Trey Sermon from Oklahoma. You got Master Teague back from last year. They're pretty stocked on that side of the ball, and, and we all know that Ryan Day's thing is offense. So I fully expect them to be kind of, you know, full go on, on offense from the jump. The questions come on the other side of the ball because you're replacing Chase Young. You're replacing Jeff Okuda. You're replacing Damon Arnett. You have a new coordinator, Kerry Combs, who's never held the title before, never called plays before. And, you know, it was a weird offseason. And I don't know, they, they weren't making wholesale changes on that side, but that's a lot of talent to replace. That's a, a, a new guy in a very important role. And I, I don't know how much time they had over the last eight months, whatever it's been, to, to get sort of gelled on that side. So there could be some hiccups. And I do think for as much as I expect this to be a lopsided game, that Nebraska does have some stuff on offense that could test Ohio State's defense. I, I don't want to call it a new defense, but it's got new parts and, when you're working through some stuff, you know, Adrian Martinez and, and Wondell Robinson might be some guys who, who can inflict some damage on you. Guys who can inflict damage on them, though. Uh, Tyreek Smith is is probably the guy who comes in and, and is the new Chase Young or the new Bosa brother, however you want to put it. Uh, he came out of whatever factory produces these Ohio State defensive ends. <laughs> uh, how much does it help that they can – just reload with guys like that because they've recruited so well. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, we all know that how important pass rush is, and they always have a guy. This year they might have two. They have Tyreek, who you mentioned, who's a junior, and he was the number 34 player, I believe, overall in the 18 recruiting class, a borderline five-star prospect. And then Zach Harrison in the 2019 class I think was a top 10 maybe, maybe just outside the top 10, but he was a high five-star prospect as well. And both those guys played a fair amount last year. Tyreek had some injuries. Um, Zach was certainly behind Chase Young and behind a couple other older guys too. And now it's sort of their turn. So Larry Johnson does this every year. Every year it's like, oh man, they lost Nick Bosa. What are they going to do? Well, they got Chase Young. And it's like, well, man, they lost Chase Young. What are they going to do? It's like, well, they got Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith. So I think they'll be fine. Um, there are questions on interior defensive line because there's some injuries there. But on the edge, they're always stacked, and, and that's no different this year. So Sean Wade moves from kind of a nickel corner role to an outside corner role. And this is 
I know this is what the NFL scouts wanted to see because they want to see can he lock down the other team's best receiver, and that's what Jeff Okuda did last year. Uh, how does he transition to that, and then who fills in behind him? I would expect he transitions fairly well because he's a bigger corner. He's about 6'1". He's long. He does have pretty good straight line speed that he didn't really get to show all that much last year playing playing in the slot. So from a skill set standpoint, I think he transitions fine. It's it's a different job, different kind of bodies he's covering, but he, he should be good. Uh, who replaces him is, is interesting because they don't really have any experience other than him in the cornerback room. And, and the guy at the moment who sounds like is going to be playing that, that nickel slot role is, is a kid named Marcus Williamson, who's been in the program for three years now has not played much uh, much different body type than Sean a smaller guy it, 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 probably more of what you would expect to work in the slot uh, as, as a defender um, kind of more twitchy short area quickness kind of stuff but the way they used that role last year that that guy was so important in their run defense too Sean Wade was an excellent blitzer and had really good timing but but was a physical player who wasn't afraid to play in the box and kind of stick his nose in there and, and that's not an easy thing to replace, especially when you're trying to replace it, when, when you're going from a guy who's about 6'1", 205 pounds to a guy who's like 5'10", like 190 pounds. So it's a little different. It is. It's unusual to see Ohio State without a freak of nature at a, at a position. Like, they don't normally have the normal size guy. For, right. <laughs> for a position. So it is, it is a little bit jarring when you see that, but that's what everybody else does, Bill. That, that's what everybody else's team looks like. And that's that kind of brings me to my next question is, is there anybody in the Big Ten who can match up with Ohio State? And I'm not saying 100 out of 100 times. I'm saying on a given Saturday, if they have their best game in Ohio State kind of in there, is there anybody who can beat these guys? I, I think the only team you would say that about is, is Penn State. And, you know, there's news out there now about their running back, Journey Brown, probably most likely missing this season. Um, and he was probably like Micah Parsons was their best player. Journey Brown was probably their – it wasn't their second best player. He was certainly kind of their most electric player on offense. Um, and to remove a guy like that from the equation, you, you're just you're just widening the gap between a team like, like Penn State and Ohio State. So – if Penn State were to put it all together, I could see it. But but Ohio State also plays Penn State in the second week of the season. And there's some changing pieces on Penn State's roster. they got a new offensive coordinator. I just don't know if they're going to be in a place to challenge Ohio State in week two. If that game was you know, the seventh or, or, or sixth game of the year, I'd feel differently. But but it just seems like such a tough task in the second week. So outside of them, you know, you always think about Michigan. And then they play that game and Ohio State hangs 60 points on them. So I don't know. Maybe Joe Milton's for real at Michigan and they can do it. But but if he's not, then I have a hard time saying it. So here's my question. It, you know, how did Ryan Day do this when hardly anybody else in America could do this? I guess maybe Nick Saban did. They didn't really lose anybody either. But Ryan Day kept all of his truly special players. Now, Wyatt Davis and, and Sean Wade did opt out briefly right before the Big Ten decided to bring yep. fall football back, but then they quickly opted back in. How did they all stay together? Was it was it day? Was it the players just coming together among themselves and saying this could be a special season, let's not lose it? Yeah, I think all of that. Um, I, I do think Ryan Day's built a, a pretty good culture there, or maybe not built, but but sort of just carried forward Urban Myers and tweaked it a little bit. Um, but, but I think a lot of it comes back to how last year ended. If they, I think even if they would have lost maybe a little lopsidedly to Clemson and there was just like no doubt about it, you lost the game and you didn't play well, maybe they'd feel differently. But I think 
you can say that they played better for the majority of that game against Clemson, had some tough breaks. Some they created, some I think they would argue were created by the officials. And I just feel like on some level, they sort of feel like they had something stolen from them. On, on another level, they feel like they just they didn't complete the job that was there to do. And there's a lot of unknown left from that group. And there's enough guys coming back from that team that they didn't want to waste an opportunity to, to try to make up for it if they were ever going to get it. So I think a lot of them could have opted out and, and opted back in like Wyatt and Sean did. But those guys held on pretty long because, I, I don't know, maybe they had hope. Maybe Ryan Day did a good job of keeping them together. But they really wanted to get this group that they thought was going to be the 2020 Buckeyes together and, and keep them intact and, and try to go chase the thing again in, in, in this season because they really feel like they have a special team. Well, now we're going to go see them play. We will actually get to see the 2020 Buckeyes in 2020. Bill Landis, thank you so much. Thanks, Andy. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And next, we'll be joined by Audrey Snyder talking Penn State. And Audrey, it's been a, a busy week at Penn State. Uh, you learn very late Monday night that, that Journey Brown is not going to be playing this season, most likely as a medical condition that he's being treated for. Penn State is not revealing what that is. But their top running back not playing. Uh, add that on top of Micah Parsons, who opted out long ago, their, their best defensive player. And this looks like a little bit different team than we thought pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if there are two positions that are built to withstand, pretty much could be devastating blows otherwise, it's the running backs and it's the the linebacking core because both positions have been recruited so incredibly well. But, you know, you don't have other players of that caliber just waiting in the wings when you talk about a Micah Parsons. But as for Journey Brown, I mean, Noah Kane's going to be the guy now. We saw him last year as a true freshman. He had a bit of a statement game against Iowa last year, but then got hurt. And so he's back healthy now, and he's going to have to carry the load. His classmate, Devin Ford, will uh, be the number two guy and push Noah Kane for number one reps. And then Ford will also be the kick returner because that was also Journey Brown's role. So, I mean, you're losing the leader in your running back room, um, one of the team leaders as well in Brown. And now you've got to reshuffle the deck here going into week one. Well, and so they've got to close the gap here on Ohio State, and that's kind mm-hmm. of the, the program ethos. It's what James Franklin said after they lost to the Buckeyes the last time they played in State College, where he talks about you know being elite. And this is – it seems like a pretty hard way to start <laughs> the yeah. season trying to do that. Brutal but, way to start, but, yeah. But they do have some, some position groups where you really like – 
what they can do. I, I look at you, you lose you to your gross mottos as a, as a, an edge rusher, but Shaka Tony and, and Jason Owa seem like a pretty good one, two punch to have oh, yeah. coming back. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's really telling that as long as this off season was and boy, it felt like five years. Um, we never really got to the point where we're like, Oh my gosh, they're losing each or gross matos. Like what's going to happen? Because Jason Oway has consistently been described since he got to state college as a freak. I mean, you're running a 4-3-40. Um, you know, th- there's really only one way you can be labeled 6'5, 252 pounds. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, the guy backing up Shaka Tony, Adisa Isaac, the sophomore, teammates last year started saying, Oh, yeah, this guy's a fir- future first round pick. And we're like, what do you mean? We've like barely even seen him. But see, that's what Ohio State does every year. And that's the sort of thing yep. Penn State has to do to to close the gap. So it's good to hear at a really critical position that they feel like they're they're getting there. Yeah, they, they should have a really good pass rush. And I mean, the defense was really great last year, especially against the run, but it's going to come down to eliminating those big plays through the air. That was a big problem for Penn State's defense last year. Big focal point all offseason. So now we're going to have to see, starting with Michael Penix this week, um, can you shut it down in the secondary a little bit better? Well, that's what I was going to ask. This is not many, many years for most of the history of college football. <laughs> an opener at Indiana wouldn't seem like that much, but this is an yeah. opener at a at a team that won nine games last year. The quarterback they were hoping to play most of last year, who got hurt, is back and ready to to put up some big numbers. How tough is this opener? It's really difficult. And James Franklin said Tuesday that this is the best Indiana team Penn State has faced by far. Uh, so I mean, I think it's openers are always weird, right? And that's during normal circumstances. You're going to see some strange things, but. Now you're taking into account, okay, this is a Penn State team that had no spring ball. It had this wacky offseason like everybody else. But where I think it hurts them is that Penn State got a new offensive coordinator this offseason, and the timing just might not be there week one. And you look at Indiana, you can say, okay, well, they got a new OC as well. So maybe that kind of levels some things out. But, yeah, this is – Indiana definitely poses a legitimate threat this weekend. Um, Colleague Bill Landis – said that he's going on the record and picking Indiana. Um, and that was before the Journey Brown news came out, by the way. So Bill is totally sold on Michael Penix. He's also picking Ohio State to win every game by at least double digits. Uh, he's a bold guy, isn't he? He is a, is a bold, bold prediction. I, I, I know they're good, but that is yeah. that is that That's is pretty wild. out there. So it but Ohio State is second on the schedule for Penn State. And I know you're never going to get anybody at Penn State to talk about what they've got to do next week, but how much kind of mental freight is that Ohio State game occupying in the the storage warehouses of the brains of the <laughs> Penn State players? Because, I mean, it, this does seem like the game that the entire season is geared toward. And, oh, by the way, now it's week two. Yeah, you know, the players, of course, will never admit it, but James Franklin corrected a reporter on Tuesday when he said about opening with Indiana, and then next week you have, and James Franklin was like, no, 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 Indiana, Indiana, Indiana. <laughs> uh, but I think, I mean, it's realistic. It has to be occupying some space in there. I mean, you're talking about a primetime game, that much we know, in an empty Beaver Stadium, which is going to be really weird. Can they paint the they- seats white? Well, actually, what they were doing is they wanted fans to pay $85 for a virtual cutout, but they wanted them to wear white for their cutout photo. <laughs> so, like, I guess they're going to try to attempt some kind of bold. whiteout. Speaking yeah, of bold. It's going to be weird. Yeah, yeah. we want you to white out the stadium. Could you please pay for that, even though you can't even come? 
And by the way, season ticket holders, they kept your seat donation money too. So really, you know, you couldn't even give them a free cutout now. Come on. Just buy some big sheets and put them over the seats. (laughs) Make it feel white. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to pump some noise in there, I think. I'm really curious to see what they do next week with that because it's going to be so bizarre. I mean, we've all seen Indiana before with, you know, splotches of fans. So that won't be too jarring. This would have been the one time Indiana would have been sold out. I know. This is. I was having this conversation with Bill. I'm like, you know, you've got some excitement, some buzz around Indiana, and nobody's going to be there in person to see it besides the parents and, you know, 25% of the press box capacity. Yeah, it's going to be weird. And I think we've seen that in the other leagues. You know, the SEC mm-hmm. in particular, I know Dan Mullen complained about the, the crowd having an yeah. influence at, at Texas A&M, but it really hasn't had much influence anywhere because it's just – and you can't replicate – a hundred thousand plus people. I don't care how much noise you pump in or uh, how loud the the twenty thousand or twenty five thousand people who are in the stadium are. You can't replicate it. So it's going to be weird for these Big Ten players, even more so because there's nobody there reacting to what they do. It's going to be like a lot of these NFL players are dealing with, where <laughs> you look up and there's nothing. So uh, I don't know if they're pumping in the crowd noise or somebody's got the boo button for a bad call or anything like that. Yeah. But uh, we'll we'll see. That seems like a very unBig Ten thing to do to to boo the oh, officials. Oh gosh, yeah. It would have to be like polite clapping and yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so somebody they, they had somebody getting some ambient sound at a golf tournament recently, just <laughs> holding up the tape recorder when somebody tapped in a two-foot putt. That will be the only <laughs> crowd noise they will pipe in. I would not even be surprised. That sounds very on brand. That's exactly right. So at Penn State, they have been trying to reach this, this goal. And, and look, they won the Big Ten in 2016, and I think everybody was somewhat surprised by that. But then the thought has been, this is the program that is the closest to Ohio State, that is the most likely to either compete with or succeed Ohio State atop the league. They don't seem to have made a lot of progress along that front in the last couple of years. Is that just because Ohio State is on a historic run, or is, is there something Penn State can do differently? I think it's more so Ohio State just being out of this world, out of their mind. Um, I mean, Penn State... 2021, the recruiting class has not lived up to expectations to date. James Franklin even acknowledged that, which I was kind of surprised that he would come out and say that. But, hey, it's true. I mean, right now you've got 10 players in the state of Pennsylvania that are like big time, can't miss prospects. You know how many commitments Penn State has from those 10? Two? Zero. Oh, and this yeah, is, that's Texas in that's 2015 bad. territory. Yeah, and they're still in the running for one of them in uh, Gateway Safety, Derek Davis Jr. He now becomes their top target. But it's just, it's a mix of you're not landing some of these guys that you absolutely should. I mean, five-star offensive right, tackle, right. Nolan Rucci, that's now, big. He's going to Wisconsin. Yeah. His brother plays at Wisconsin. Wisconsin puts offensive linemen in the NFL. Ari Wasserman and I have had this argument before because mm-hmm. he, oh, he, boy. he used that as this proves James Franklin's not getting it done. I'm like, I don't know that that proves that because the circumstances around it, like if was, it, the brother thing aside, if Wisconsin didn't yeah. put offensive linemen in the NFL, then yes, it would be terrible. But the thing you, you that if you're a five-star recruit, you're looking at is who develops my position the best. And if you're an offensive lineman, Wisconsin develops your position really well. So oh, it's a factory. I, don't, I don't think yeah. that's a problem. But I do think, though, I mean, when you're you grew up in Pennsylvania and your family still has Penn State football season tickets, 
that's a little, that's, you know, your dad played at Penn state. Mom played field hockey at Penn state. It's a little weird, See, but Franklin's I get it. has been in the sec. You take the brother. So you get this guy. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that was kind of, that's been my argument. Uh, Saquon Barkley's little brother who's at a prep school. Um, I was saying, Hey, you know what? A lot of teams aren't even offering this kid. He's at a prep school, but if you get him, you get Saquon on your sidelines. So yeah. I think, you know, well, it's like when, when Eric Berry was at Tennessee and, and Lane was Tennessee's coach and he mm-hmm. offered both of Eric Berry's brothers. Well, if one of them turns out to be half as good as Eric Berry, then you're, you've got you're a really set. good player. So, and it, and it turned out that, that Evan Berry was very good. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's funny how that works, uh, because there is a lot of that going on, but I, what is, is Penn state not cool? I, I, because it feels like from a 30,000 mm-hmm. foot perspective, that it does seem like a really good place to play. They're winning a bunch of games. They run a pretty fun offense. Like, yeah. Why wouldn't you want to play there? I think it's, there's so many factors with it, which is kind of interesting. Cause like one of them is like, all right, you're in central Pennsylvania. There's really nothing around you, but like, look at so many of these college towns. Yeah, it's not like you Tuscaloosa know? is a, is a thriving <laughs> metropolis. Or I, I live in yeah. Gainesville, Florida. Like I can promise you there's not much going on here. Yeah. Like it's I, the, the biggest thing for Penn State football is when you sell that whiteout atmosphere. Um, now this year, you're going to have to try to replicate that over Zoom. Uh, try to you know nail that in the virtual visits. They might try to get some uh, prospects together. Uh, they kids might organize themselves to come up and watch the Ohio State game at a restaurant, like, like Oklahoma did. That I mean, yeah. that's that's good though because that shows how tight a recruiting class is, how much those kids care. I mean, that, that's, that's oh, yeah. probably a very good sign for the future. I mean, and the thing is, while we always want to talk about the measuring stick, and I get it, I write an awful lot about it with Ohio State. I mean, Penn State's still a really, really good team. And I think, you know, with the playoff, everybody's always kind of like, all right, playoff or bust. Um, But, you know, this is a really successful era of Penn State football, but it's just you're not closing that gap because Ohio State's just playing out of their mind. But Penn State's still on really, really strong footing. Like, it has to be super, super frustrating if you're James Franklin and this is consistently what you're up against. Yeah, and look, you've got one team on a, a completely historic run, which is kind of how a lot of the SEC folks feel about Alabama. It's like, okay, you know, it's great. We're trying, but this guy will retire at some point. And then that the, <laughs> the problem in, in, in the Big Ten is the guy retired, and then the guy who replaced him might be better. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of... You know, I, I I don't think it's like Penn State's one of those places where people are like, oh, it's not cool. Like right now you've got one of the most marketable faces in the NFL and Saquon Barkley repping your program. Like you're putting guys to the league. Like it's just you got this massive hurdle in front of you in Ohio State. And I don't know how you combat that other than occasionally winning some of those games. And that's where this season is so difficult for Penn State because – if you had Micah Parsons, if you had Journey Brown, if you had fans in the stand for a whiteout game and you got Ohio State here, you at least could take your best swing. Now you don't get any of that. With apologies to former Florida basketball player Adrian Moss, if if was a fifth, we'd all be drunk. That's <laughs> that's the problem. They, I they, like that. They got to go with it, who they got, and it will be a very interesting Penn State football season, starting with a really intriguing opener at Indiana. Enjoy the trip to lovely Bloomington, Audrey. It's going to be a wonderful drive. Can't wait. 
Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now here's Nick Baumgartner talking about the Michigan Wolverines. We're talking on Tuesday afternoon. There is news coming out of Ann Arbor on Tuesday that mm -hmm. Washtenaw, Washtenaw County has advised that students at the University of Michigan basically stay right where they are. So we'll get this right out of the way. What does this mean for a football team that's supposed to go to Minneapolis for a game? But right now, it means nothing. I, I suppose the, the order specifically said, um, you know, student athletes are still allowed to go to practice, still allowed to compete. Uh, so if, as long as medical professionals are there, I think the the fact that uh, and they're I think getting Austin tested actually, all the time as opposed to the regular yeah, student population. Austin yeah. talked to somebody up there and uh, at the health department, and they noted that that you know they've had such rigorous testing that they'll be okay. So right now, it's not going to impact any um, any athletics, and the students can you know. They can go vote and go to work and go to class if there's in person. But I think all this mainly is they've got Michigan, Michigan State week two on Halloween. And uh, I think <laughs> oh, they're, they're, like, they're just moving. Can't. They're thinking yeah. ahead. That's what they're <laughs> yes. doing. They're just, oh, That's my read. I could be wrong. Please, we'll please get rid of your sexy nurse costume right. that you were planning to to wear yeah, while right. Michigan and Michigan State play at a party because you're not going to the stadium because you're not allowed in the stadium. Mm -hmm. But please ditch those. <laughs> ditch your loincloth. Just yeah. your sexy Leave cop. Alone. <laughs> Don't do it. So, yeah, the truth comes out. I, I, I really appreciate their forethought. I do. I think that's what it's got to be because I think, like, I think I saw some some numbers today that like sixty percent of the cases in Washtenaw County, which is where Ann Arbor is. That's where I live here. We had like 60% of them are students. So like we had like none before the students got back and it's ramped up obviously. So I think that's part of it, but it's also, it has gone up. So they have, uh, they have been trying to uh, stay on top of that. Yeah, Alachua County, Florida down here knows exactly how you feel. So <laughs> <laughs> pretty much the exactly. same demographics. Yeah, right. So yeah. uh, this team is in an interesting place. And uh, this is, we get to this point every year. Mm -hmm. We do that. We ask the Jim Hart. Is it weird that, we're not asking any of the Jim Harbaugh questions, or is that a function of we spent all this time talking about whether the Big Ten would even play this fall? I think part of it is that the latter, that we spent a lot of time talking about, are we even going to get this plane off the ground? And I think a lot of it across the board, I think you see that across the board nationally, probably that, you know, a lot of coaches in situations like that, where it's kind of like, what are you doing here? You know, we're going to need to see something from you. It got maybe pushed to the back burner, but I would assume, you know, we know this, the minute anything gets going, the minute somebody doesn't look so great, everything turns and everybody remembers right away. But no, I mean, like this is another, and you know this, Andy, this is a, this is another example in a several year period where, you know, Michigan, I, I think it was 2017 ish when I deemed it like no man's land. They're in that pod of teams from like six to 20 yeah. or whatever, like seven to 20. Like you're not good enough to be in the playoff, but you know, you're not terrible and you're, you're fine. Yeah. And mo like most of the point, country yeah. would trade places happily, right. but your fan base wouldn't. Exactly. And, but the one thing I would say about Michigan here is, and that's, you know, for the most part, I've understood that. And I've said, you know what, if you're continuing to stay toward the top of that heap, then, you know, maybe you're progressing in the right direction and maybe something will bounce your way. 
But I think you can argue after last year they're they're pushing further down that that list. Like they're not they were you know two three years ago or in 2018 you know they're toward the top of that you know probably six seven eight. Now they're in the twenties or in the low teens. So it feels like they're they're not stretching forward. They're sort of regressing slightly backward, and that's a thing that kind of has to stop uh, because I think after six years here we 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 can't keep saying anymore. You know, can Michigan do any better than Jim Harbaugh with seven and a half million dollars or whatever they, they're spending on a coach? I don't think you can say that anymore. I mean, I think that that's that was fine for a time. And now it's really not, you know, there, there's more football coaches out there that you, you give seven million dollars to that might be able to do a little bit more. I'm not saying he's a bad coach or even that he deserves to go, but I, I just don't think that should be the default anymore. Well, and, and we've talked about this a bunch of times, his contract situation, and mm-hmm. and he handles has always handled these things in a, in a different way than everybody else. He doesn't yeah. have an agent. He doesn't have any – which means he doesn't have somebody saying to Ward Manuel, the athletic director, hey, my guy's not extended for five years, and you right. can't recruit if you haven't been extended for five years. So there's none of that going on, which I actually find a little bit refreshing. It is. It's but, weird. Yeah, but, I agree. I feel like now, but you've got this year and next, and that's what he's under contract for. You kind of wonder, okay, what does happen? Are is he going to let this expire? Or are they going to let this expire? Or is there a long term plan? I think that at the very beginning, when Jim Hackett signed him to that deal, they had language written in there that you know both parties will agree to come together when this thing ends in good faith and renegotiate a new one, or they'll agree not to. And uh, by all things right now, but nobody in college any, football ever right. goes to the no end one ever of the does contract. This. And, and that's the thing. Like everywhere Harbaugh's been, he's left basically as his deal was about to be done. Like when he left San Francisco, he, he, he fulfilled his deal and left and they decided not to renew it. They fired him. So like that was how he puts it in the books and that's how it goes forward. I would think based on everything we hear today and right now that that when that day comes, they'll renegotiate or maybe yeah. sooner. I don't know. But, you know, this is also Jim Harbaugh. And like I tell people all the time, like you can't you can't put yourself in the head of anybody, but especially him. Like he just he changes his mind, you know, so fast. I mean, I there, there, no one ever knows. That's the thing with him. And I'm talking like when I say no one, I mean, like his dad, even sometimes I think is guessing on some of this stuff because he just doesn't talk about this. And that's how it goes. Well, again, it's somewhat refreshing, but it is. It's, but it's also it's, it can be aggravating. It's folks. different. Yeah, it. Okay, so the Joe Milton era is going to begin yep. at the University of Michigan, and uh, this is a guy with a cannon for an arm. He's a bigger guy uh, from Orlando, Florida. Mm-hmm. He's was not really considered the heir apparent until it became apparent that he was the guy, which was this this off season. Yeah, I mean that was. When when the when the year turned over to 2020, my thought at the time, you know, having talked to some folks, was that their best bet going forward might be to go all in with Milton and hope that they can get him ready. Uh, I think the the ceiling, but if you look at him and Dylan McCaffrey, is what the decision they ultimately had there. I thought I think everybody thought most people thought Milton's ceiling was higher. Uh, McCaffrey may have been safer, but there was more with Milton, and he has more time, so it made more sense in in a lot of ways. In that you know, Joe's a bigger kid; he's like 240 pounds. He can be more involved in the run game. Um, you know, that Dylan's been hurt the last couple of years. So that made sense. The big arm um, and the team loves him. I think that's the other thing. He enrolled early. He surprised a lot of people with how further along he was coming out of high school. And it's been kind of a steady incline ever since. But the thing that I keep going back to is more than any Michigan quarterback I can think of in the last several years, everybody likes this guy. I mean, they, and not that they haven't before, but like people just, they, he's not going to have to win anybody on the sideline. They love him. They want to play for him and vice versa. So, 
I think they all really, really, really want it to work. But Andy, Austin and I have talked about this several times. I don't know if like they truly believe this is ready to work or if they're trying to talk themselves into, you know what I mean? Like we're in that mode. So yeah, it's kind of like we got to see well, it. And I also wonder because the, with the Josh Gaddis offense, it took them a while yeah. to figure out what they wanted to do with it. But once it, once it started clicking, it, it looked pretty good and felt pretty yeah. good. So he gets to build around this guy who does seem pretty well suited for it. So, you know, maybe that's, yeah. that's the thing, but I mean, defensively, they got some good players and Quiddy pay could be the best defensive player in the mm-hmm. conference if, if things shake out the right way. Uh, but you know, you just kind of wonder where, where are they going to fall in the hierarchy? Because yeah. you, you know where Ohio state is, but where does Michigan fall, you know, in relation to Penn state and Wisconsin and yeah. the other, other good programs in the big 10? I think if you're finishing what last year was, there there were probably four. There, Ohio State, given the day, Wisconsin or Penn State, and then Michigan. And I think right now their quest would be to get back up into that two spot, which would be, which the the, the you know the the difference isn't wide. I mean, it's not a wide gap between Michigan and Penn State in certain terms of talent. They're pretty even. Michigan has more, I would say, probably talent in terms of depth than Wisconsin might, but, but we they're all not watched as the mentally, game last year. Yeah, right. But they're not as mentally tough and they can't hang in the trenches and that's and that's been a problem. So there's a lot of things they have to fix. Um and right now, you know, this this went from you've gotten all the way to the door against Ohio State, you've gotten to the last level of the video game. Here comes the big boss. Now you got to try to do it. You fall on your face and you go back to start and now they're kind of back in the middle. And it's like they're stuck that's the best way I can put it. They're they're stuck and they're trying to get out of neutral here and people are getting a little, not a little, they're getting a lot like we're kind of tired of being in neutral. I feel like this game this week will inspire strong feelings either way. Yeah, well, there will be a stirring of feelings among the Michigan yeah. fan base, positively or negatively, because Minnesota was very good last year. Yeah. Uh, brings back a lot of people. Tanner Morgan's back. Rashad Bateman opted back in. Mm-hmm. Uh, now they got a new offensive coordinator. Uh, they lost theirs to Penn State, so they might not be as crisp as as they'd like to be week one. But if Minnesota beats them, it will be a sky is falling situation. Yeah. If they beat Minnesota, it will be all right. Maybe this is We're it. Rolling. Yeah, it's yeah. It, it is one of those games that we will completely overreact to. So let me let me put it this way, <laughs> Michigan fans. We if promise it's a, you we will. If it's a close <laughs> game, if, if if it's like a five point game either way, mm-hmm. please don't go off the deep end either direction. I pro- it, It's just one game. I, know, right. I realize you're going to think it's everything, but it's just one game. It is a good start, though, for them, I feel like. It's better than... It's a good measuring you know, stick. ...tiptoeing in. And like, yes. for me, it's like you're going to know about what Joe Milton's got by the end of the first half in this game. You know what I mean? You're yeah. not going to know everything, but you're going to know if they're going in the right direction or if they've got a lot of problems. And in some ways, that's great. But yeah, for your point, I mean, I think I expect a full-on emotional outburst one way or the other from all sides of Michigan Twitter when this thing ends, however it ends. Yeah, it's one of the, this is one of those that you cannot help but react. Yeah. Not Violently is not the right word, but <laughs> just react with extreme emotion in, in whatever yeah. direction it goes. Just, it, it's, there's no blah feeling. And, and I think there's going to be a lot of this in the Big Ten just because there is no dipping of the toes in the water. It is, mm-hmm. Everybody's jumping right in. Yeah, everybody's jumping in except Michigan State, who gets Rutgers. But Michigan State probably needs the buffer. But everybody else is is right in, and away we go. And I think that in a lot of ways, with the time crunch and everything else, 
everybody's dealing with the same stuff. I don't, I don't mind it. I prefer this. I, I don't, I've never loved the first three weeks of a big 10 season where we just talk about, well, it was so-and-so and that doesn't right. count or this doesn't matter or whatever. He hadn't played anybody all that. So let's get it out of the way that Michigan, Minnesota right away. That's a great game to start it with. And, and we'll know a lot. I feel like about where they're both headed uh, pretty fast here. Nick, how does it feel to talk about actual big oh. 10 football and not whether they're going to play or not? <laughs> Really good. I mean, I hope I'm like knocking on wood that we actually still get to Saturday, right? Like we talked about. The, it does, you don't want to be overconfident. <laughs> but like, no, I mean, August was miserable. July was miserable. June was terrible. I mean, it was like one that what was it? August 11th was the day that they canceled it. Yes. I, I still remembered that date. And it was just horrible. It was like so much worse than I thought it would be emotionally for like us even, let, let alone the players and everybody else. But I mean, you felt terrible for them and. As time has gone on, you've kind of wrapped your mind around it. So it's been weird. And I like I woke up this like Monday and I was like, doesn't really feel like it's here, but as the weeks kind of going on, I feel like we're we're getting closer and closer. Yeah, this uh, I, I felt this way a few times. I felt this way the, yeah. the September twelfth of like, oh my God, the ACC plays this week. <laughs> right. yeah. September oh my God, yeah. the SEC plays this week. And I'm feeling right. the same way about the Big Ten. And it will feel like a, a more complete college football Saturday. Not the most complete, because that's yeah. that's coming in a couple weeks when the Pac twelve joins the fray. But it's it's gonna feel more complete, and I'm just I'm I'm glad everybody's here, and uh, yep. welcome to the party. I agree. So let's do it. I mean, I'm ready for it. Eight games, we'll do it. We'll do Ohio State, Michigan, and three feet of snow in uh, mid December. That'll be fun. Beautiful. <laughs> That's <laughs> one way or the other. Uh, you guys always talk about how how awesome that cold weather football is. There you go. We're gonna we're gonna find out how much you mean it. <laughs> Thank yeah, you, we'll Nick. Yeah. Thanks, Andy.